Morning Star Show with Super Sly 75. You are listening to onthewakeupradio.com. Sign up for otwtube.com, uncensored free speech platform. Shout out to our super producer, Cindy Ashby. All shows are live on thewakeupradio.com. Catch replays on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, and iHeartRadio, as well as otwtube.com. And now back to your host, Super Sly 75. Hey, the heat. It's not even really hot outside like that. So I just came in from tanning. I'm clearly getting darker. I mean, if you watch me, I'm clearly like, like, see how dark I'm getting? Wait, wait, wait. Shoo, look at that tan. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to getting darker. What's happening? What's happening, everybody? All right. All right. Okay. Okay. Everybody come on in because, uh, come on in because, uh, yeah. Man, listen, I'm going to. At the end of the day, he was still a great man. It's not so much about Jim Brown, but black men of that era. It's a lot of lot of stuff, man. No nobody squeaky clean. Um nobody squeaky clean. Nobody's squeaky clean. Yeah, nobody is uh listen, man. I, and I get it. You know, black men back then is a different time and different era. Like every every man was was you know allegedly kicking women's asses back in the fifties, sixties, seventies. Oh my god! Hold on. Okay, um, yeah, yeah, I hit, yeah, yeah, you're right, it was a different time, for sure, I'm not excusing it, or minimizing, yeah, it was a different time, yes, women got their asses handed to them, (sighs) yeah, yeah, oof, man, listen, it, it was, (laughs) he turned into a running joke. Like the Jim Brown thing turned into a running joke. Like he was, he was known for kicking so much ass. Like you knew how to tell the time, right? Oh, it was, it's bad. It's not even just Jim Brown, but yo, just unfortunately different time, different era. Men back then were, were putting foot to ass either righteously or unrighteously. I, I can't call it. It doesn't, I, it, to me, it doesn't minimize or diminish 
uh, what he stood for and his legacy. And like everybody, all of our heroes have faults and flaws and shortcomings. So that's part of being human, right? You know? And we have, man, listen. Uh, they, they, uh, they never leave clean. And that, once again, he was never, he, he beat all the charges, but still, there was something there, you know? Still something there. So let me do this. Let me go ahead and get right into it. Give me a minute. <laughs> no, he had his wife. He, had his, he was with his family. And we'll get into his wife in a little bit, too, because we'll get into his wife. Okay, so no, Jim Brown, wife as that was at his side. The wife was there. So, um, yeah. So, how can I do this? So this is this is two for. Well, you can't say righteously you get canceled for that. Oh, I, I didn't know. That's news to me. Okay. Um. So I was watching the Playboy Chronicles. Came out last year. I'm late to the party. I'm only on episode three. And to tie in with Jim Brown, once again, black men of that era. So they're talking about Don Cornelius. Don Cornelius is another black man, power, uh, prestige, wealth, that also had a propensity to, to put foot to ass on women. Man, so they're talking about the the incident where he basically pulled a Rick James and it was two very young Playboy Bunny um, chicks or employees and he basically kidnapped these women for two days to the point where the personal Playboy security, the cleanup team, so the Playboy machine had a cleanup team ex-cop, former, current cop, couple women, and they were basically um, the fixers. They would clean up the situation. So if a Playboy Bunny was attacked by a a key card or VIP member, they would go get the girl. They would never call the hospital. They would never take it to the hospital. Um, They were not allowed to call the police. Basically, they handle it internally. They would get her cleaned up, whatever, and, and basically fire the girl and pretty much threaten her like, yo, if you ever tell what happens, we'll come for you, right? And they're talking about Don Cornelius' Don Cornelius's situation where he basically kidnapped two Playboy Bunny uh, females in the documentary. They weren't alleging, like, they said he did it. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty ballsy to accuse somebody of something with, with no charge. But, of course, no one ever got charged. And then there was an incident where several other Playboy bunnies were kidnapped, assaulted, held hostage, and the cleanup team had to go save and rescue them. But getting back to this uh, Don Cornelius thing, and I'm tired of saying with Jim Brown. So this shit here. Now, once again, the doc. I'm I'm only three episodes in. It's like a ten episode documentary. And it initially uh, aired on A&E, but it's on, it's on Peacock. Okay. All right. 
Don Cornelius. Now, once again, should it dim- diminish or take away or, or reduce what Don Cornelius did for black people and what he did for media and pop culture? No. Once again, all of these men, these powerful men have deep, dark sides to them. And then, and, and my issue when Kevin was alive was like, I don't, th- you're not telling these women what they're going to have to put up with, with these type of men, these masters of the universe. You're going to get beat up. You're going to get burned. You're going to get, you know, you're going to have to do drugs and you're going to have to in- do orgies and you're going to do all types of stuff that's going to go against your moral code. And you're going to, you know, lose whatever shred of integrity you had dealing with these type because these type of men expect a certain, um, uh, a, a, a certain submission. They expect a certain level of, of obedience. It's not just black men, but it's just men at that level expect you to, hey, if he wants you, he, if he wants to piss on you, that's what's going to happen. You like this lifestyle that he provides. You like the the the, the show and the go, the travel and meeting the other movie stars. And well, damn it, bitch, you're gonna have to get pissed on, amongst other things. If you get out of line, if I gotta burn you with these coat hangers for you to learn your lesson, that's what you're gonna do. Nah, I ain't no getting out of there, man. We ain't get out of nowhere. We're gonna talk about it. Uh Red, let's see, 830. See, okay, wait a minute. The movie starts four. 430 to 630. Yeah, yeah. I'll be cutting it close, but yeah, I should be ready by 830. We're cutting it close, but yeah, yeah. So let's get into what they said Don Cornelius Cornelius did to these two Playboy bunnies in the documentary. They didn't say allege. Well, the, the people telling the story. Now, mind you, the people actually telling the story were part of the actual cleanup crew. They were part of the actual, they were the, they were the team sent in to go rescue these kidnapped Playboy bunnies. Okay? These were the people that made sure the women didn't go to the cops, didn't go to the hospital. They had to clean these women up, bandage them up, stitch them up, you know, set broken bones, whatever the case may be, and, and make sure they don't come back to tell their story years later down the road, okay? So this is what Don Cornelius did to two Playboy bunnies back in the day has been accused of locking up and violently sexually assaulting two young Playboy bunnies decades ago. This is some real Rick James stuff going on, okay? Now, PJ Maston, she's a bunny, former bunny mother. She's the one actually in the documentary actually telling the story. She's part of the cleanup, the, the Playboy cleanup crew, all right? Now, mind you, he died 2012, but still... <laughs> She says, it was probably the most horrific story I've ever heard at Playboy. This story is is the story of a massive cleanup that never hit the press. According to Maston, Cornelius was a Playboy VIP and familiar face to the girls one night at a Hollywood dance bar where the bunnies were known to hang out. Cornelius spotted two new recruits, sister, it was sisters, and invited them to join him in the bar's VIP area. Now, you have to remember, when they were, when they were, uh, training the playboy bunnies they always told the playboy bunnies don't go home with regular guys right don't be nice with don't don't overly flirt don't take their money don't take don't don't go home with them none of that with the regular guys but when it came to the the vips they were like go get to know them be nice to them treat them good show them a good time blah 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 
So it was it was kind of a conflict conflict of interest, right? So the bunnies were were trained with regular mem- you know members, pay them no mind. But when VIP showed up, show them a time of their life, which is and and once again they were not they were instructed not to go home with people at the end of the at the end of the shift. They were instructed not to go home with these people. But when it came to the VIPs, you know, whatever. All right? Let's continue. Okay, 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 okay. Uh, later that evening, he, alleg- he allegedly asked the bunnies, the baby bunnies, if they wanted to go back to his house with him, where he said he was throwing a party. These two young girls got in a Rolls Royce, went up to his house, and we didn't hear from them for three days. Master and Legend episode, we couldn't figure out where they were. That three-day silence was broken when one of the girls called the bunny mother at the Playboy Mansion, allegedly saying that she and her sister had been held at Cornelius' house and she was finally able to get out. Joe Piastro, he was the head of the cleanup crew. He was head of security. He was, he was Hef's personal security, like personal bodyguard. He was in charge of the cleanup crew. He's a former cop, all right? Um, now this woman, the woman here talking is PJ Maston. She used to date one of the security guards. He was a former cop. He was part of the cleanup crew. She was part of the cleanup crew. Okay. Let's continue. Let's continue. Okay. Joe Piastro playboys head of security went to pick them up and found them bloodied, battered and drugged. According to Maston, the sisters who are not named in the docuseries reported that they had been locked in separate rooms at Cornelius' house. Now, this is the worst part when she gets describing what happened. So, <laughs> here we go. They were tied up and bound. There were wooden objects that they were sodomized with, and one sister could hear the other sister being brutalized. It was horrible. Horrible. Cornelius' son, Tony Cornelius, tells people in part that Maston's account is an unbelievable story without real proof and salaciousness. Now, mind you, it's in the series, the docu-series. Okay? What I'm just reading from you basically is a transcript of what they said. I just watched this shit. It's in episode three last night. It's called Predators. Right? The episode is called Playboys and Predators. All right? Every, they all said this man did it. But let's continue. Let's continue. Maston said that the sister who allegedly managed to get free didn't notify the police in, in accordance with Playboy policy and claimed that the company's security team handled the matter internally, telling the bunnies to keep quiet and avoid speaking to the press. If the allegations are true, then Playboy succeeded at covering them up. Cornelius was never investigated for sexual assault against the bunnies though he was convicted of unrelated domestic charges uh, in 2008. She says, the thing that was so outrageous to me that made me so angry was that no charges were filed on Don Cornelius's privileges as a member, as a number one VIP, were never suspended. He was back in the club the following week. Everything I'm reading to you is what she said verbatim in the docuseries and then some. Now, if I'm the family of Don Cornelius... I'm suing somebody for defamation and slander. The series came out last year. Once again, if I'm the family of Don Cornelius, I'm suing somebody for defamation and slander. I'm waiting for the defamation and slander suit 
against A&E and Playboy and PJ Maston and Joe Picastro and everybody that spoke on the situation. I'm waiting for the, the, the lawsuit. Okay. It's ugly. Let's continue. These young girls, what they went through, nobody has any idea, Master said, through, through tears. My job was to pick up the pieces. I had to pick up the pieces of these kids. They were kids. I believe they were 21 and 22 years old. She continued, I blame myself a lot. I have such guilt about not coming forward, but I knew that the establishment wouldn't allow me to come forward. And who's going to believe me? Nobody's going to believe me. Okay. All right. Now, how does this tie into Jim Brown? I mean, it kind of doesn't, but it does. Now, let's get to Jim Brown. I mean, I'm going, I mean we're just going to go right into it. We're going to get right into it. Where is it at, Jim Brown? Okay, okay, okay. Here we go. Now, this is where all of Jim Brown, this is all the cases he beat involving women. Now, once again, I'm not here to diminish, minimize, relegate, or, you know, sidestep. What he did was still great accomplishments. What he, as far as what he did for the, for for black people, what he did uh, on the football field, social acti- act, activism, blah blah blah. It's all great. Once again, powerful men have powerful ur- powerful urges, and w- when I hear people, other so called dating coaches, tell these women, "Yeah, get you one of these guys," no, you don't. You're not built for what. They require of you, from you. Okay? You're not built for what they require, what they want from you. Not about that life. You haven't been groomed properly. You know what I'm saying? It's like basically you're deer in headlights. Now, let me piggyback off the Playboy real quick before I get into Jim Brown. So the other part of the Playboy documentary, the first two episodes... Uh, this is the crazy part. So there's a woman. Her father was Hugh Hefner's best friend, his personal doctor. He has a daughter. They move in to the Playboy Mansion. Once again, he's Hugh Hefner's best friend, personal doctor, personal physician. And he has a six-year-old. So she grew up seeing all the parties and all the cool stuff, right? And then she's around, around 15 years old. And then what happens is she gravitates to one of the older Playboy bunnies. They begin to have a relationship, which is kept hush-hush because she's still underage. She's 15 at the time, basically having relations with a 22, 23-year-old woman, right? Um, so then what ends up happening is she, you know, they're ready to break her in. So they sent her up to Hugh's room, the Hef's room. You know, it was a big deal to get sent up to Hef's room. They got, when you got summoned up to the room, that's, you, that's pre- pretty much you, you made it, right? And um, <laughs> now, mind you, Hef basically she, it was, it was another father figure, almost like a, a surrogate uncle to her. That's how she looked at him. But as she got older, she's seen, she seen some things now. She's like, oh, I don't want to. I don't want to be like these women, you know, walking around with dog collars and drugs and you know foursomes and fivesomes and shit and orgies and shit. She's just like, I don't want to do all that. Nah, I'm cool. But then she got sent up to Hef's room with her girlfriend because she was told the only way you're gonna see this girl is in Hef's room. So 
They're in Hef's room. This is her telling a story. I forget her name. Sag- Saganor is the last name. She wrote a book, right? Her last name is Saganor. And um, the girlfriend, the older woman, starts crying. So Hef's like, well, shit, we can't do anything now. And someone said, well, you know, your, your, father's, down, your father's room is down, down the hall. And Hef tells her, well, we're all family. We're all family. You understand? So the, the, her daddy already understood the cost of entry. You are Hugh Hefner's personal physician. You, you, you're in it. You're, you're knee deep in it. And the only thing it was going to cost you was his daughter. And she had no relationship with her mother. And because she had no relationship with her mother, she was looking for a mother figure, which led her down the path of dealing with this older woman. Now, one more thing I want to get into before I get to Jim Brown. So here, um, a couple of days ago, I was talking about wife swapping and all types of weird, se- you know, sexual activities and stuff. And people were, I was getting these comments like, ah, it's like you capping black folk and into wife swapping. I said, oh, really? Uh, okay. Now, let's play a, let's play a quiz. Let's have a quiz. Who was the black dating coach that was into wife swapping? Three initials, he recently died. Once again, who was the who was the, the, the dating coach? That was into wife swapping and, and he recently passed. Because you know, black folk don't do wife swaps. Yeah. Remember, remember that live stream he did a couple years ago? And he was talking about one of his buddies. He's like, Yeah. Someone he he thought somebody was asking him to do a wife swap. The guy was joking, but ARC was serious. Remember that? Does anybody remember that? Yes or no? All right. So I can, I need y'all to stop acting like black folk don't do what everybody else does. And once again, I keep trying to tell y'all that you don't know what these people do in their relationships. You don't know what they're into. They're not really going to come out and tell you. Because then that would kill the perception that you have of them or, or, or could cost them financially. All right? So, no. God, God bless the dead, but ARC couldn't come out and tell you that he's into wife swapping. After he, after he done already let y'all down, he got married. God forbid he got married he, and had a, a kid. Y'all was mad at him for that. This man couldn't come out and tell you that uh, he's into wife swapping. That's bad for business. That's bad for business. So when I, once again, everybody's dragging Rolo Tomasi as they should, but you don't know what Rolo has to do to keep his marriage together. You don't know what he's done in the 27 years he's been married to his wife. You don't know what he does. All right. Okay. All right. Uh oh. Uh oh. Uh oh. Y'all watch out. Cassie Nova's in the building. Now let's get back to. Let's get back to Jim Brown. Now these are now once again he beat all these charges for the most part, but once again. Men of this magnitude, um, 
Do not let these dating coaches get you jammed up, ladies. You don't. You think you want a master of a un, of the universe? You don't. You no. This ain't really what you want. Let's get let's get into it. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. All right. First case. 1965, 18-year-old Brenda Ayers says Brown assaulted her in a Cleveland Howard Johnson motel. Brown was charged with assault and battery. Ayers said Brown plied her with whiskey, slapped her face, hip, and stomach, and forced her to have sex relations with him on two occasions. She broke down while testifying in court, saying Brown called her days before testifying, asking, why was I doing this to him? Brown denied having sex with her and assaulting her. His defense lawyer called it a shakedown plot for money. A Cleveland jury found him not guilty. Ayers later sued Brown for for paternity and lost and sued for civil damages, the latter of which she asked to be dismissed. Okay, that's 1965. 1968. Neighbors of Browns in Hollywood uh, hear an argument and call the police. When police arrived, they found Brown's then-girlfriend model Eva Bone Chin semi-conscious beneath the balcony of Brown's second-floor apartment. Brown was charged with assault with intent to commit murder felony battery on a peace officer and obstructing justice. This is his words. The police is just another cat. He said the first sheriff's deputy who came through the front door that day also went through the closet door. Listen, he said, you, you got to have something going on, going out dealing with 270 pound linemen for a living. You quit playing, but that doesn't just go away. The charge of assault with intent to commit murder was dropped when Eva Bone Chin told police she had fallen trying to get out when they showed up. The charges by the cop were changed to resisting a deputy. Brown was fined $300 and that marked the beginning of his problems with the L.A. Sheriff's Department. He says those suckers knew a little about my head and they waited for me to do something so they could shoot me. For two months, they came by most every night to tell me to turn my music down. Okay. 1971. Battery charges are dropped against Brown due to a lack of witnesses. A deputy city attorney told the magazine that Brown was accused of beating and then throwing two women, Claudia Ann LaMary and Carol Virginia Williams, both 22, out of his apartment and down a flight of stairs, allegedly because they refused to perform a sex act together. During pretrial proceedings, the two alleged victims, however, appeared with Brown and left with him, indicating all was forgiven. If indeed anything had occurred at the trial, Miss Williams answered five questions put to her by uh, Adejan before her attorney advised her to remain silent. She alleged she was injured at Brown's apartment when I fell down a flight of stairs. But when asked if Brown was responsible for the fall, she purred, not to my knowledge. Ms. LaMary failed to appear. Okay. All right. 
So now we get to 1985. Everything's pretty chill. We get to 1985. Brown is charged with raping and assaulting a 33-year-old woman in his home. The woman testified in court that she was friends with Brown, who invited her over to his home one day, but that when she tried to leave, he beat her, then raped her with the help of his then-girlfriend, Carol Moses, 23. Moses told a grand jury that she got in a physical fight with the woman who clearly had been beaten after the woman made a lesbian advance towards her and that Brown had tried to break up that fight. This is ridiculous. Everybody is lying, Brown told reporters. The charges were dismissed by a judge, according to reports, due to inconsistent testimony with changes in details such as whether Brown fully or partially penetrated her and whether he had tied her hands or forcibly held them. Research done since has shown that the grape, uh, like other traumatic events, takes a a toll on a person's memory, especially their memories of the event itself. This is why police now are advised to handle the interviews of sexual assault cases differently than other crimes. Okay. Uh, The year after this case, Brown told journalist Diane K. Shaw that he was very vulnerable and that I don't have much chance if someone wants to get me. Now y'all now once, once again, we're Monday night quarterbacking all this because I, I keep hearing people say you need to vet, you need to vet. Oh, okay. That, that works both ways. Let's continue. 1986. 1986 Brown is arrested and charged with assaulting live in girlfriend, Deborah Clark. Clark 22 told police the fight was about a jealousy thing that happened a few days ago. And at one point she locked herself inside a bedroom with a gun. The charges were later dropped after Clark said she did not want Brown prosecuted. It was definitely over dramatized. She said afterwards, if a telephone call goes to the police station and they arrive, naturally the media is going to get into it. Basically we had a lover's quarrel and everything is fine now. Speaking to Shaw, Brown said he'll, he, probably, he probably will marry Clark, but concedes he doesn't know how to spell his future wife's first name. Okay, let's continue. 1989. Brown's memoir, Out of Bounds, comes out in the book. He again said that Bone Chin fell from the balcony and that they had a minor domestic dispute. He did admit to slapping women, including Bone Chin in the book, as quoted. I have also slapped other women, he wrote, and I never should have. And I never should have slapped Eva, no matter how crazy we were at the time. I don't think any man should slap a woman in a perfect world. I don't think any man should slap anyone. I don't start fights, but sometimes I don't walk away from them. It hasn't happened in a long time but it's happened and I regret those times. I should have been more in control of myself, stronger, more adult. Let's continue. <laughs> Let's continue. 1999. <laughs> once again, once again, Brown is charged with two di- two misdemeanors making terrorist threats against his wife and vandalism after 
uh, Monique Brown called 911. Now, this is the wife that he, that he died, you know, married to. The first officer to arrive to the scene later testified to seeing Brown's wife, Monique, 25, looking nervous, shaken, and like she's been crying. Monique Brown said she and her husband got in a verbal fight after she confronted him about his cheating. At one point, she said he told her he was going to kill her by snapping her neck. Monique Brown went to the garage. Brown followed her, picked up a shovel, and began attacking her car, leaving dents and breaking the windshield, the officer told the court. She went to the neighbors and called 911. Operator, Monique, do you need a paramedic? Monique, no, he hasn't hit me. Operator, he didn't hit you today? Monique, not today. Operator, okay, but there is a history of domestic violence, right? Monique, yes. Operator, and he threatened to kill you today? Monique, yes. Jesus Christ. (laughs) During the trial, Monique Brown recanted her own statements to the police and said what she told 911 was misinterpreted. She said she told the dispatcher she had not been hit, but that those parts were in the section of 911 tape labeled inaudible. A jury found Brown guilty of vandalism for smashing the car with the shovel. He was sentenced to three years of probation, one year of domestic violence counseling, and 40 hours on a work crew or 400 hours community service. Three years later, uh, in USA Today, Monique Brown would mention her husband's jail time due to this case and the same sentence as the incarcerations of Nelson Mandela and Martin Luther King Jr., while Brown himself blamed the couple's arguments on PMS, claimed to be a victim of political persecution and assert that what happened that night was the opposite of domestic violence. Quote, in anger management training, they teach you never to hit a person. Hit an object, he said. That's what they teach you. Okay. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, let's continue. 2000. 2000. Brown is sentenced to six months in jail after he refused to attend domestic violence counseling as part of his sentence for smashing his wife's car. Brown's lawyer uh, argued to the court that the counseling and other probation terms were unconstitutional and dehumanizing. Uh, Judge Dale uh, Fisher wasn't swayed. The fact that Mr. Brown is refusing to get help with anger and violence only indicates to me the necessity for significant punishment. Brown served less than four months of the sentence in 2002 when my colleague Drew Maggery brought up the jail time with Brown in the 2009 interview. Brown said, I chose to physically go to jail rather than take an assignment that was undignified to me. Brown, it should be noted, has beaten up men as well. While he was found not guilty of charges that he assaulted a West Hollywood man in 1969 after a traffic incident accident in 1978, he was sentenced to one day in jail for beating and choking his golf partner, golf pro Frank Snow, over the placement of a ball. If you don't get the fuck out of here. <laughs> hey, you know what? Okay. Hey, man. <laughs> A man's man. This is what they do. I, I, I. Okay. I mean, we all grew up watching these movies. Shaft, then, you know, slapped the motherfucker up. Superfly, and you know, slapped a few women up. I mean, we kind of grew up with this. Kind of grew up seeing this. 
Once again, still a great, um, his accomplishments still make him a great person. Um, but once again, men like this have a propensity that I don't, I don't believe that most people would understand, let alone women that date them. Um, and you can throw Hugh Hefner in this too. Cause like I said, I, I'm still knee deep in the documentary and you know, the all off the top. All the all his former girlfriends are like, yeah, Hugh is something's off about Hugh Hefner, and he likes to play these mind games and uh, pit his women against each. You know, it's just a men like this. The average woman is not built to deal with a man men like that. Um, uh, okay, okay. So <laughs> that was my Hugh Hefner, Jim Brown, Don Cornelius rant. Once again, not so much about Jim Brown, but men like that. Masters of the universe. Okay? I, I, you don't know what it's like to deal with men like that. And by the time you get inside and you, you're there, it's, it's too late. And, you know, okay. Hey, all right, let's get to some bad parents. Let's get to some bad parents. Bad parents. Wait, I'm looking at these comments. These comments are killing me. Yeah, man. Oh, I listen. Oh, oh, and then and then the killer part. What I the 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 best correlation I found. So in the early episode of the documentary docu series, they were talking about feminism, radical feminism, and here's what I've noticed. All of the radical feminists, the hardcore feminists that, that, that are like hardcore, they're typically ugly women. And what I, I've noticed that hardcore radical feminists and red pill are brother and sister. On one end, you have ugly women upset at pretty women using their looks to make more money and to get by uh, with less struggle and strife in life. So back then the playboy bunnies, if you worked in the, and the, and, and, and the, and the, in the, the club in the lounge, they were making more money than secretaries and teachers in a time when women were expected to be just that teachers or secretaries. So if you could, if you were a size zero, and you can and, and you could fit the, the the bunny costume and put on the ears and, and the corset. You'd make three times as much as a teacher. But what 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 woman that's pretty wouldn't do that? And so what you have is you had this hate this hate with all the women that couldn't do it, hating on the women that could do it, and the women that were hating were not of the first, second, third choice. These were the ugly outcast women that couldn't get a man, wouldn't get a man, couldn't get next to a Hugh Hefner. And you have women saying, well, shit, yeah, I would use my sexuality to advance in life. And it's the same thing with the red pill guys. The ones that complain about the women the most are the non-select guys. The guys that wouldn't get chosen first, second, or third. And they hate on the guys. <laughs> Let it be, whatever you want to call them, Pookie, Ray Ray's, Chad's, they get the action they and the other guys don't, and they get mad at the guys that get the action. They're one in the same. One in the same. Yes, the spinsters. All right. 
Okay, so let's get to bad parents. Our first bad parent. This is terrible. This is horrific. This is horrific. Has anyone seen this story? A teen is under arrest for allegedly killing her baby just after giving birth in a hospital bathroom. Police in Artesia, New Mexico, released this body cam of the suspect, 19-year-old Alexi Treviso, being confronted about the child's body being found. We discovered a dead baby in the bathroom. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. It came out of me and I didn't know what to do. Alexi, I told you about this. I just asked you, baby, to tell me the truth. I was scared. It was not crying or making. Authorities say Treviso denied being pregnant when she arrived at the emergency room with back pain. But medical staff determined she was pregnant. They say she went to the bathroom for 20 minutes and wouldn't open the door. When she finally emerged, staff claimed the bathroom was covered in blood. A custodian was called in to clean it up and discovered the body while taking out the trash. So when I picked it up, I realized that it was like a little heavier than it would be with just toilet paper and a trash bag. Treviso's mother seemed to be shocked by the whole thing. Like how big is the baby? It's full term. What? She put a full term baby in the hospital trash. She put a full term baby in the hospital trash, y'all. Come on, man, man, just make it make sense for me, y'all. Make it make sense. Let's go. Nine months? Something was crying. Lexi, have you watched the news of the girls that what they do to their babies and what they go to jail? An autopsy performed on the baby boy determined he was breathing before he was put in a trash bag and deprived of oxygen, which caused his death, according to the report. Alexi Treviso is charged with first-degree murder, intentional abuse of a child resulting in death, and tampering with evidence. Her attorney told a local news station that he has serious problems with the charge of first-degree murder, and he will tenaciously defend his client against it. For Inside Edition Digital, I'm Matt. Now, I, I don't think the murder charge sticks. Um, you could argue stress. You could argue all types of emotional duress. I don't I don't see them. Not not a first degree murder. You know. Um, but given how easy it is to kind of just go to the hospital and say, hey, I don't want to deal with it. Like, she didn't have to do that. Yeah, you didn't have to do that. Now, and then now we got to look at the mother. Like, mom, how are you just just oblivious to your child's physical changes, mental changes, emotional changes? Like, women know women like the back of each other's hands. So, how is she not in tune with her daughter to kind of know she wasn't pregnant, or there was some emotional changes going on? I don't know, man. I don't know. Uh, let's see, Robert Benjamin. Thank you for the ten super chat. You forgot one slide, but one was one was a good note when Jim and Burt Reynolds ran a train on Raquel Welch in the back of the seat, a set of hundred rifles. Oh, okay. Thank you, bro. I appreciate that. Doesn't see how I appreciate that. Thank you. You know what? Nope. I'm, I'm going to shut up. Thank you for the donation. I, 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 I appreciate that. Thank you. I didn't know Raquel Welch, had a train ran on her, but her and, and 
Jim Brown and Burt. I, I didn't know that. <laughs> All right, let's get to uh second bad mom. Second bad mom. All right. If you've been following this story here. If you've been following this story here. If you if you've been following this story here. Now, don't let the title fool you. See, the title says she only got 90 days in jail. It's a little bit more than that. It's a, it's a, it's a little bit more than that. So let's get into it. Colorado woman who admitted to having sex with a 13 year old boy and then having his child is headed to jail. Uh, Andrea Serrano of a fountain will serve 90 days in jail, excluding seven days previously served. In addition is still having to comply with the original terms of the plea deal. Now, here's where they, they, they don't tell you. The, the headline's a little salacious, misleading, even clickbaity. Here's the real deal. Those terms include 10 years to life on sex offender intensive supervised probation. She has 10 years to life hanging over her head. Once again, she has 10 years... She'll do 90 days in jail. Once she gets out, she has 10 years to life. Intensive supervised probation. If she breaks anything, any of that, automatic, anywhere between 10 to life over her head. I wouldn't want, I wouldn't take that deal. You understand? I wouldn't take that deal. Give me my five or six, seven years in the joint and give me my three years uh, parole when I get out. Ten to life was over this woman's head, y'all. It's a little bit more than 90 days in jail. All right? And if you, if we all believe that most sexual offenders, sexual predators can't help themselves, she'll slip up. It's just a matter of time. All right? Um, and we, we've covered this story when it first, when it took place, here we go. The amount of time on probation that will be served was not clarified in the courtroom. Uh, let's see. The department started investigating Serrano after receiving a tip on June 27, 2022. Serrano was arrested in July after confirming she had a relationship with the teen. She allegedly admitted to police that she had sex with the teenager who remains unidentified due to his age. It later emerged that Serrano had become pregnant as a result of sexual assault on the minor um, let's see, let's see. And the time since the deal was made, she has questioned the mother now, the mother of the victim. She has questioned the exclusion of prison time and remained unhappy with the offer. I feel like if she was a man and he was a little girl, oh, duh. This is the only time when kind of, this is the only time women, women realize how good they got it. Right. Or how unfair it is when it comes to their sons. So when your sons get attacked by these predators and cougars, then you realize when the bitch don't do no more than a year or two, then you're like, oh, wait, that's not fair. Oh, is it now? Too late. Too late. And, and to, to piggyback this off of the Playboy documentary, all of the women interviews said, listen, I like the idea of using my body and sexuality to make more money. But they all agreed that 
they didn't realize the consequences for that would be so great. There was a sister that was a Playboy bunny, right? Because Hugh was, was all inclusive and she had got assaulted by a key member, a key club member. She was assaulted by a bunch of dudes. She got, she was drugged and dragged off somewhere. Three or four guys pretty much had their way with her. The only guy she could remember was the one uh, key, key, uh, key club, key card member. And when she saw him back at the club the next day, because she understood she couldn't go to the cops, she couldn't go to the hospital. You understand? They, they understood the, the rules of being a Playboy bunny. So the next day when she went back to work, she recognized the key card member. She grabbed a, a, a glass and was about to go stab the dude. When one security stopped her, it kicked him out. And that's it. So it just didn't happen to, to white bunnies. The black bunnies got assaulted too. All right, let's continue. Uh, let's see, let's see. Okay, they are having compassion for her. The victim's mother told 11 News back when the deal was offered. Uh, she said, I feel like because he is not a woman, they are not. Uh, his mother made similar statements, that bad, bad example for the community. If Serrano avoided jail time, that she needs to go to jail, even if for a small amount of time. During the sentencing, Serrano took the stand and said she wanted to apologize to the victim, his family, her family, and her children. The defense mentioned that similar cases have received similar deals in the past, regardless of the suspect's gender, and the judge confirmed that this was true, but still said he was not convinced jail time was unwarranted in this case. The judge said jail time would be appropriate in addition to the plea agreement because of a concern for the message Serrano avoiding jail time could send to the community. Serrano will start her jail time next week after being granted a seven-day stay to make sure her children were taken care of. Must be nice. Must be nice. So they gave her the 90 days in jail. They gave her a week to take care of her, of her affairs at home. So on top of the 90 days, she's got 10 years to life, supervised probation hanging over her head. I would never take a deal like that. Give me my, give me my prison time like a G. That that's that's me. I'm a little different. All right. Let's continue with more bad parents. Let's continue with more bad parenting. We live in a day, day and age where children are no longer protected. It used to be women and children were, were not to be were, were excused, right? Given a pass. Not anymore. Anybody can get it. Anybody. Anybody. Anybody can get it. This is where we're at today. I can understand why people don't want to have kids anymore because anybody can get it. Let's go. News is just coming into our newsroom. A body has been found in the East River near 96th Street. Our sources say that body is believed to be 11-year-old Alpha Barry who's been missing since last week. Earlier this week, Scuba Cruz had found another body in the Harlem River, later confirmed to be 13-year-old Garrett Warren, the two boys last seen alive together. We have a crew on the way to the scene. We're going to get you more information as we learn it in the newsroom. Oh, well, wait, hey, let's con let, it gets worse. Hey, Sister George, hey, what's happening? What's happening? Sister George, I got, wait, 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 let me, let me get to this. Sister George, I have bad news for y'all, for you and Curlin. I saw a picture of you two. Curlin failed the green lines test. Now, listen, I don't know what you did to that man. 
Okay. He failed the Green Lines test. Y'all better get it together. What's the Green Lines test, Sly? I'm just saying. He failed the Green Lines test. I'm praying and rooting for y'all. I don't like what I see. Tell Curlin to stop leaning into you when y'all take selfies. The man is to never, ever, ever lean into the woman when taking pictures together. You lean into him. I'm breaking down for you what the green lines are in case you didn't know. So if he leans into you, that means you are the controlling force in the marriage. If it's the other way around, then he is the controlling force in the marriage. It's body language. Now, Sister George is going to be like, Sly, now you're not saying this. That's that's just one picture. Sly, you bugging. Oh, but am I? But am I? Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Yeah, no titty meat. If I see a picture of Sister George and Curlin, where Curlin ain't getting no titty meat from you, Sister George, Sister George, you kind of thick. There's no excuse for Curlin not to be getting no titty meat. Work on them green lines. Now, in love and peace, I say, shamana, hamana, hamana. All right, I say a little prayer for y'all. Hamana, shamana, hamana, hamana. Okay? Yeah. Sister George, get it together now, goddammit. I'm rooting for y'all. <laughs> I'm rooting for y'all. All right, let's follow up with this horrific story with bad parents. How the hell two boys get thrown into the Hudson River? Two friends. Two friends get thrown into the goddamn Hudson River. Anybody can get it. Missing last week in Harlem. Yesterday, police found the other boy's body in the Harlem River. CBS 2's Jennifer Bisram spoke to relatives today. She joins us live with more. Jennifer. Hi, Dick. This is the block where 13-year-old Garrett Warren lived, where Uh-oh. he grew up, and Uh-oh. now there. Oh, Sister George fires back. She returns fire. She returned fire. She said, "Sly was right at the coitus. I did my thing that day. Give me a break." Class. 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 What What do we say about body language, and perception? Class, pop quiz. What do we say about body language and and relationship pictures? When you see couples together in their pictures, right? What do we say about body language? What do we say about body language? Now, you know what? Everybody has an off day, you know, Everybody has an off day. Yes, I too have pictures. The claw that made a guest appearance. I I almost expect the claw to always show up. I'll let the claw slide. But if the majority of your pictures are of the husband or the boyfriend leaning into the woman, she controls that relationship. Body language does not lie. What do they say? 90% of communication is not uh, right. It's body language, right? Yes. 
right? Nonverbal. Nonverbal, yes. So he, once again, if you have relationship pictures, selfies out here, go over them, apply it to the green lines, and come back and tell me what you find. All right? That's right. Nonverbal communication is the most um, prescribed, uh, the most frequent form of communication. Now, you can have a happy marriage. I'm not saying that. I'm saying who controls the dynamic. There's the there's the leader and there's the subservient. I'm just it is what it is. All this equal shit is a joke. Stop. Somebody leads, somebody follows. This partnership is a joke. We're part no, motherfucker, no. Somebody runs it. Somebody does what they're told. Okay? I I can pretty much tell by most people's couples pick Give me 10 pictures. Give me 10 random pictures of any c- random couple. And I could tell you who runs that relationship. No shade, no diss. But once again, if your man is leaning into you in the majority of your pictures, you run that relationship respectfully. That means either you have the last word or uh, the majority of the time he caters to you. However, you be the head, he the follower. It is what it is. Body language does not lie. You will never, if there's a picture of me out here with a woman, with me, I'll delete that shit. We're going to take it, we're going to do it again. Right? If me and the wife take selfies and shit, and I'm leaning out, now we'll delete this one. We're going to take another picture. Okay? All right? All right. That's y'all homework. Let's get back to this horror story of these children. Let's get back to it. There is a growing memorial here where people have been stopping by all day in disbelief. They cannot believe he is no longer here. His friends, his neighbors, his family all stopping by outside of his Harlem home, lighting candles and leaving sweet messages for the teen who loved football. Police say his body was found Thursday in the Harlem River. Investigators say Garrett and his friend 11-year-old Alpha Barry were last seen together on surveillance video near 145th Street and Lenox Avenue last Friday. Since both families have been canvassing city streets looking for the boys, and police have been desperately searching land and water. Now, we did talk with Garrett's grandmother a short time ago. Take a listen. That's my grandson. I'm going to miss everything about him. The typical 13 year old. Fun. Fun. Caring. Eat too much junk. <laughs> he plays football. He, he loves sports. And he's. Uh, he's as far as he's in a good school in Manhattan, but his favorite subject is science. Whoever knows who pushed my grandson in that water need to say something. Wait, 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 wait. Now listen, I'm not a New York resident. I'm not even a, I've been down to the Hudson River. I've been down to the Hudson River. For now, nobody knows what happened, but Ma'am, why is your grandson down at the Hudson River? I, it happens. I, I guess boys will be boys. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to assume he couldn't swim, right? I'm, I'm assuming no one knew where he was. Clearly, nobody knew who he was. So he didn't have a phone. So he didn't have location on, on his iPhone because you didn't know where the fuck he was at. Uh, okay. 
I don't know what, where's the mother. I'm not even going to ask where's the father. Okay. I'm sure this woman is not even 50 years old. These 40, what I tell y'all about these 40 year old grandmothers, this woman is probably clearly in her forties. I, I doubt she's in her fifties. All right. I, a matter of fact, grandma looks like she, she munches on carpet. I, I'm sorry. I don't want to be judgy, but grandma looks like she eats the box. Yeah. Does grandma look like she know her way around the box? Cardboard box. Polystyrene box. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. So you don't know where the grandson is at. So nobody knows the location on his phone. You're down at the Hudson River. You don't know who's at the Hudson River with. You assume somebody pushed him in. He couldn't swim. I don't know. This, this sketch, 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 sketch. <laughs> And another live look at this memorial for Garrett Warren at this hour. Again, people have been coming by all day long, lighting candles, praying. The investigation as to what exactly happened is obviously ongoing at this time. And that search for 11-year-old Alpha Berry continues. Police say they are still canvassing city streets. They are in the water. They are just everywhere asking for New Yorkers for their help. If you know anything about where he may be, what happened to both of the boys, you are urged to call Crime Stoppers. We are live in Harlem. Jennifer Bisram, CBS 2 News. Jennifer, thank you. Listen, yeah, yeah folks don't want to be parents these days. That means you, you actually have to. So they're looking for the 11 year old, can't find a 13 year old, but they were last seen together. Oh, so he just found his body. Oh, no. Oh, no, they did find. Yeah, I, I, okay, I said that. Okay, so they, yeah, they found both of their bodies. So nobody, none of these kids' parents know where they're. Okay. When the officers got to the scene, they found a male who was unconscious and re- unresponsive in the water. So that was Alfie. Or just, just say y'all don't want to, y'all don't want to deal with these kids. Just say it is what it is. We're last seen together the evening of Friday, May 12th on 145th in Lenox. It is currently unknown how Garrett or Barry ended up in the river. So I'm going to, I'm going to assume they died at the hands of an adult or adults. I'm going to assume they died at the hands of adults. Hey, sister George, I was just playing. Don't, don't be mad. No, nah, hey, sis. Hey, for, I was just, I was just kidding. Please don't take my shit the wrong way. with The green lines. I was just playing. I think she left. She's like, she's probably like, fuck's lie. Right. Breeding. These are folks just breeding. No plans on long term. I agree. I agree. I agree. Okay. This is going to be a short show because I got to get, I got to take a shower and go, you ready to go see fast X. Um, did I cover everything? Did I cover everything? Oh, you know what? Let's uh, let's check in on some dead bedroom real quick. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up with dead bedrooms, and then we're going to uh, I'm gonna get up out of here. No, it's going on three o'clock. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. We do this. Okay. 
Do y'all care about Zimbabwe and, and the gold back tokens? Do y'all care about this? Does anybody care about Zimbabwe? Are you going to buy some Zimbabwe money? I, I'm just asking. Does anybody care? Damn ads. Okay. Oh, yeah. Four, three, two. All right, let's go. Oh, shit. Is it? No, no. Is that it? No. I don't give a fuck. Okay, anywho. Uh, Zimbabwe will launch a digital currency next month by introducing tokens that are backed by gold reserves and can be transferred between people and businesses as a form of payment. The move is aimed at shoring up Zimbabwe's faltering national currency, the Zimbabwe dollar, which is fast depreciating amid years-long economic woes. The Bahamas, Jamaica, and Nigeria have already launched digital currencies backed by their central banks, with several other countries, including China. Uh, the United Kingdom is moving closer to it by asking for public input. The U.S. and European Union are also considering moves. Um, in Zimbabwe... The new tokens will be fully backed by physical gold held by the bank and will go into circulation on May 8th. Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe Governor John uh, Mangudia said people can buy the tokens and use them as a way to save their money or conduct person-to-person and person-to-business transactions and settlements. People will be able to buy the tokens through banks and make transactions using e-gold wallets or e-gold cards. Uh, trust in Zimbabwe's currency is desperately low after people in 2008 had their savings wiped out by hyperinflation, which reached 5 billion percent. Jeez, Pete. The hyperinflation resulted in a country at one point issuing a hundred trillion Zimbabwe dollars banknote before the government was forced to temporarily scrap its currency and allow the U.S. dollar to be used as legal tender. Oh, the dollar, the U.S. dollar rears its ugly head again. Let's continue. Uh, okay, so then in 2019, the government relented and unbanned the U.S. dollar, of course. Okay, so on the official market, the exchange rate is just over 1,000 Zimbabwe dollars to the U.S. dollar. However, it's about the double that amount of local currency on the illegal but flourishing street market where greenbacks are readily available. Mm-hmm. Uh, the introduction of the digital currency will ensure that those with low amounts of money can trade them so that we leave no one and no place behind. International gold prices determined by the London Bullion Market Associate, Association will dictate the local pricing of the tokens. Mm-hmm. Okay, do you care about this? Will you, will you buy Zimbabwe dollars just because it's, it's now backed by gold? Yes, no, maybe, possibly. Okay. Let's get into it. Let's get out of here. Oh, one more, one more bad parent story. One more bad parent story. Here we go. Texas, Erica and them, Nick and them, Conspiracy and them. Uh, uh, who else is in Texas? LAR and them, and, and Magbone and them, and uh, I'm missing one more person. Texas, Third World, uh, th- uh, Third World Colombian and them. All you Texans hold this L. Texas mom charged with capital murder of three children. She has a twin sister in the state mental hospital for a seven-year-old girl stabbing. To- what the hell? 
Cheesy Pete. A Texas mother stands accused of capital murder and the deaths of three of her children nearly two years after her twin sister was accused of committing the same crime against a seven-year-old girl. What is wrong with y'all? Shamaya Diashane Hall, 25, allegedly murdered six-year-old boy and five-year-old twins, a boy and a girl, in the Italy, Texas resident on Friday afternoon. A four-year-old boy and 13-month-old girl were also stabbed and wounded. Jeezy peeps. Investigators said the stabbing murders occurred as a Texas Child Protective Services caseworker attempted to remove the children. Jeez. The caseworker then called Ellis County Sheriff 911 dispatch at approximately 4 p.m. Officer said, adding, we ask for you to keep the family and the community of Italy and first responders in your thoughts and prayers during this tragic time. Officers discovered five critically injured children inside the residence. Jeez. Ellis County Jail Records reviewed uh, indicate Hall faces three charges of capital murder um, of multiple persons with a bond of two million on each count. Hall is now entering her fourth day in jail. Um, let's see. WFAA reported that the defendant's twin sister was accused of stabbing and murdering a child almost two years ago. After she was literally caught red-handed, uh, Fox reported in June, uh, Troy Shea allegedly confessed to stabbing a teen boy and murdering her seven-year-old daughter, Madison Petrie, in an apparently unprovoked attack by stabbing the girl more than 30 times. The defendant, however, found incompetent to face capital murder charges on October 12, 2021. Uh, they were both born July 11, 1997. Jeez, EP, good Lord. Yeah, y'all, y'all got this. Yeah, y'all got, y'all got this. Uh, and good news, uh, the charges against the black Colorado rancher, remember him, right? And his, his young, thick wife. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Let's see what Call happens. precision before Wednesday for your 79. 79- ads I right, come on with the ads come on come on come on come on come on come on There are new developments in the case against two ranchers in El Paso County. We first told you about the Mallory's and their feuds back in February. Tonight, Denver 7's Micah Smith has an update on their criminal charges and speaks to them about what's next. We have an update for you in what's become known as the Black Ranchers case out of El Paso County. This morning, the district attorney announced they will drop all charges against Courtney CW and Nicole Mallory for felony stalking their neighbor. You may remember the Mallory's first reported receiving racist threats and their cattle being killed shortly after moving on to their ranch more than two years ago. The Mallory's say after reporting these incidents to the El Paso County Sheriff's Office, they were the ones who ended up in handcuffs after their neighbor also started filing complaints against the Mallory's. I talked to the couple shortly after they learned their charges were dropped about what's next for them. The DA was very honest in his motion to dismiss about the fact that the witnesses were not credible. So I think that speaks volumes about um, 
some of what really has been going on with regard to how we were targeted by the sheriff's office. Um, this is just one step in, in justice, but we still have to get justice for our animals. They were part of our family. They were poisoned. Um, it was done intentionally and maliciously. I'm going to say support your local farmers, and I'm going I'm to I'm push even harder for support your, your, your local black farmers. A lot led up to this latest development on this story that's captured national attention, and I've done some extensive reporting on the entire case. If you want to get caught up, you can find all of those previous stories right now on Denver7.com. Okay. Okay. Micah Smith. Thank you, Micah Smith. All right, all right, all right. That's good. That's good. All right, let's do a little dead bedroom. I'm get up out of here, cause I gotta go do stuff. I gotta go outside and touch grass. You know, like actually go outside and do stuff. Okay. Yeah. Oh, here we go. Uh oh. Let's see. Uh, let's look at some of our options here. Let's see. We have he initiated for the first time in years. Thirty flirty and thriving vaginoplasty. Uh oh. Our bedroom has always been dead. Uh, what, are we, what are we doing? Okay. Let's see what else. What else? Would your low drive partner accept you having fun else? Oh, no. Oh, that's terrible. Let's do this. Let's do vaginoplasty. Let's check this out. Let's see what they're talking about. Vaginoplasty, y'all. Uh-oh. Okay. Quick summary, 40 years old, cis female, no kids, suffering from genetic vaginal laxity, negatively affecting sexual satisfaction. Vaginoplasty performed under local anesthesia. It's been seven weeks since my procedure, even though I still haven't tried having sex. I am absolutely amazed by the visual results as well as tactile, what I can feel inside with a finger. The first three weeks of the recovery were not very painful, but definitely, definitely uncomfortable. I had to use a peri bottle to wash the area. I couldn't sit normally, so I either had to recline or sit on a chair with my legs tucked under me. Even though the doctor said that I could go back to work within a week, I found it unrealistic. Unless you work from home where you can stay reclined and work on the computer, you can't really function normally for the first three weeks. Even walking was too much. I started driving around 14 days and still had to sit on a donut. The stitch perineum area is super delicate, so you have to baby it by limiting your range of motion. Pain level was low, but mostly annoying, like a paper cut. I weaned myself off narcotics about three days after the procedure and stayed on ibuprofen and Tylenol for several weeks. At the three-week mark, there was a dr drastic improvement to where I didn't have to use a peri bottle anymore and could just use normal toilet paper to wipe. There was still some pink spotting whenever I would strain while using the bathroom. I had different position to sleep where my legs were close together. I used an extra pillow to prop my knees up so that I can sleep on my back and keep my knees close together. Also, as I increased my level of activity, like doing chores around the house, there was a weird ache in my vaginal area. Nothing bad, but mostly psychological. I was really worried that I did something to mess it up. From three to six weeks, there was still some discomfort in the perineum area. Uh, but during that time, I was able to gradually resume normal activities like walking, driving, and chores. No working out yet. One of the challenging parts was also lack of physical connection between me and my husband. Most of the time during recovery, I felt touched out. Even cuddling was not very comfortable as he had to be very careful where he touched me. Even touching my butt will pull on the stitches in the perineum. Damn. So he was afraid to touch me and inadvertently hurt me. 
I didn't realize how hard it would be had to be have no sexual physical connection for this long. My husband was really su- incredibly supportive and patient, and I'm grateful to have 100% of his support. We were both trying to focus on the reward at the end of the journey, which would make it all worth it. I flew in for an in-person consult at six weeks post-op. The doctor instructed me to hold off on sex for one more week as my perineum area was still healing and not ready for intercourse. There was still some intact stitches. However, at that point, I got an okay to gently insert a finger in my vaginal canal and started massaging the posterior wall. Amazingly, my vagina felt tight for the first time in my life. I could feel a sensation around the whole perimeter of my vaginal canal just from inserting my finger. Also, on the outside, my labia looked smaller and more petite and youthful. Not the driving factor, but still a nice bonus. It's truly amazing that we live in a day and age where vaginal laxity can be addressed so that women can regain her sexual pleasure. Oh, let's continue. There is definitely muscle weakness because of the surgery. Where in Kegel, I can tell that my muscles have gotten weaker over six weeks. I have been cleared to resume Kegel exercises at six weeks as well. I had to go in for a BA revision, so I have to wait at least two more weeks to have sex. We'll post an update once we try out my new vagina. So far, I am 10 out of 10 satisfied with the results of this surgery. Out of, out of BA, TT, arm lift, and vaginoplasty, this has been the most straightforward and most exciting surgery with the least amount of complications. Now, the most important part. I would 100% recommend this procedure. However, only, and I repeat, only with a urinary gynecologist who specializes in this kind of surgery before I did the surgery I talked to my regular OBGYN about it he offered to do it for a lot less money than the doctor in California shout out to California who specializes in these my regular OBGYN said that he would be cutting my vagina both in the posterior and anterior front wall which means that he would be cutting through the g-spot um, and when I asked him about potential loss of sensation on the front wall he said that it's likely It wasn't even a concern for him. And what is mind boggling is that he still offered this procedure, which in the manner that he would do it could likely cause horrific consequences to the sensation and the woman's sex life. That is scary stuff. Honestly, it's reminiscent of the infamous husband stitch only meant to increase the man's pleasure, disregarding the woman. Absolutely barbaric. If you do this procedure, make sure that nobody cuts through your G spot. It is not necessary and it can ruin the sensation in your vagina, go to a doctor for whom it's primary specialty, not your ordinary OBGYN. Don't try to save money on this. You truly get what you pay for in this case. I went to Dr. Goslin in Los Angeles and it was $7,000 well spent. Even though my husband was present at all visits, Dr. Goslin made my satisfaction and needs the absolute priority. I'm grateful and happy about this experience so far. Wow, ladies, y'all going through all this for, I mean, I get it. I get it. I get it. (laughs) You know what? I'll make it out of here. I'll be back uh, later on tonight with Red Sings and Blues. We're going to talk about the WGA strike and how it's affecting your entertainment when it comes to watching these TV shows, films, and movies. So with that being said, thank you for everybody that donated and came to hang out today. Um, yeah, so I got to go. She's cooking. I got to shower. Go see the, go to the movies. Come back. And then hang out with y'all with Red Sings and Blues. So uh, I'll be back in a few hours. Peace.